Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Just walk with your head up high. Don't be afraid. Just take it one step at a time. Don't give up on your dreams, no matter how small. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today we have Zach Rhodes coming to us from Burlington, Vermont. I'm really excited to have him on. We will be talking about all kinds of things. He is a human behavior specialist. He's an addiction coach, a science writer with a focus on addiction and mental health. He is currently the host of a podcast called Young Justice, It is a show about human development and addiction, and he will be starting a new show that will be called The Social Exchange, uh, which will cover more things like uh, social psychology, politics, neuroscience, and, as always, addiction and recovery. The The Social Exchange will begin in January in 2018, and I was taking a look at um, some of Zach's older shows. It looks actually really pretty interesting. Uh, Alrighty, and so with that, we will just bring Zach on. Hello there. Zach, welcome to the show. Monica, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. Uh, it's so good to have you. It's really uh, wonderful to have you on. How's it out there in Burlington, Vermont right now? It's co- it, it's cold. Uh, nothing, mm-hmm. Something you don't know anything about. It's really cold out here. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Though. It's beautiful. It's a good time to be alive. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful state. Really nice. So I was looking at your show. How long have you been making your show? God, it feels like a long time in the sense that I've covered a lot of ground, but really it's less than one year. Actually, the one-year mark of me doing and hosting podcasts will be February. So mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that. It feels like it's been a lot longer, but maybe about 10 months now. Congratulations. I was just looking at some of all the shows you've done. Uh, it's just so good that we connected. I'm glad that you found me and I found you and, um, you know, cross-promoting. And just so there's more people. I like that you're so young and uh, you're coming into this with, um, you know, your own experience and yet you have your education. So with that, let's talk about that. Um, how did you become interested in social psychology and addiction? Well, um like many people, I have an interesting backstory, which starts in childhood, and that could make for a very long story, but I'll just give you my, my two-minute version of that tale, because it turns out to be really important. 
Um, uh-huh. Like a lot of kids, I, I entered the public school system, and I was excited and ready to explore. I was creative and energetic and motivated and really curious, but I came out the other end feeling totally deprived of those things, and that was perverse to me. Now, my parents saw all of these things when I was a kid before school as strength. They created an environment for me where I could exercise my strength, plus they really understood basic social motivations, where, um, which were friendly relationships, opportunities to influence and inspire others, and a chance to verbalize my ideas. That's who I was. And my parents were very aware of all of this, and they gave me all that I needed, plus they helped me work uh-huh. on some of the things that I obviously needed to work on, like teaching me that completing tasks is important and teaching me to take accountability. And um, in the home uh, environment that they set up for me, I could work on these things at a pace that worked for all of us. Fast uh-huh. forward to my time in public to my time in public school, my temperament just didn't work well with the teachers in my classroom, and these teachers uh-huh. weren't exactly democratic leaders. So, whereas my parents saw my behavior as spontaneous and energetic and motivated, my teachers would call it something different. Instead of spontaneous, I was impulsive, and instead of energetic, I was hyperactive and really far from calling me motivated in my own ways, they would say that I was very distracted. And this set the stage for the rest of my school career. It seems uh, trivial, but as time went on, it became less and less so. My parents, kind of knowing that they were doing the right thing, uh, kind of said, hey, these teachers and experts are telling us that we're not quite right. And being labeled and sort of judged throughout school was self-fulfilling to me. And so to make a long story short, I hit a lot of roadblocks with respect to my own authentic passions and motivations. And it was hard for me to develop meaningful connections and relationships. And Mm. to make a long story short, I got caught up in unhealthy involvements, including drug addiction. And I behaved in ways that filled a very short-term void, but ultimately were inconsistent with my values. And it wasn't until adulthood when I was using heroin in a very seriously problematic way, including a near-death trip to the hospital, that I would develop out of my addiction. And that is that is the interesting point. The fact that I quit an addiction, just which seemed to happen on my own will, is the most interesting part to me. I didn't do it by attending support groups or rehab. I did it mm-hmm. by making a clear, conscious effort to behave ethically and achieve long-term goals. And I'll just end all of that um, uh, by explaining why I'm telling you this story. It's because My own life experience is what got me interested in working with children, which I do now. And Mm -hmm. I learned that addiction is just one of many areas that can be observed within a developmental framework. So that's what got me interested in social psychology and addiction. And it's why I do the things that I do now. I work in a school system and help families outside of the school as a trainer and consultant. And like you said, I'm I'm an addiction coach in Stanton Peel's life process program. And the whole thing about starting a podcast was just to – educate people on the relevant information. Mm, it's really fascinating. It's really important. I think, you know, even just to listen to you talk and the way you frame your story um, is something that I see as a very, very important change that's needed in the whole process. And uh, so I kind of really applaud you for that. I really like it. Maybe it's just a natural process for you, where for those of us who are older, who actually got caught up in 12-step programs such as like, well, at least I did, change how we tell the story, how we tell our story, and reframe those words. And they, mine certainly changed too. 
but yours, I find, and, and so I'm going to say something that's like, wow, you certainly don't sound like an addict, you know, which is what, when, you know, Stephen Slate, like, mm. when I talk to Stephen, I'm like, I think that you guys really have an important message because of the issue around heroin right now, and there's so much chatter and talk about it, um, that you have somebody who clearly um, is not in a long-term recovery frame of mind. And so yeah. you want to talk about yeah. if, what you... Um, uh, you know, are bringing that I think is so different and refreshing to the table that I can hear in you, but you could even help other parents and other, um, you know, kids that are using and abusing, maybe specifically heroin or maybe not. Maybe you work just as well with someone who's overusing alcohol. Mm. So you want me to uh, talk about how I how I help people that way? Yeah, yeah. Any part of that? That was way too long of a question. <laughs> There's just a lot of no, a lot of great stuff that I you know from just listening to you tell that. So yeah, okay, you go ahead and tell. Let's start with that. How do you help people? Well, I I start with I have. Well, let's see. I guess I should start with if if we're going to talk about addiction, I really have a strange relationship with the concept of addiction, and it's as you say, I, I don't sound like an addict, and that I guess in itself is sort of a problem that we think that an addict sounds like something. So on the one hand, I think that, that we're really quick to apply diagnosis and mental health label to people. And while labels are useful in some ways, we shouldn't allow them to define people. And the addiction label, like all labels, is something that people use to define themselves, uh, which causes a whole lot of problems, and not in the least of which is the, the development of a very negative self-image. But on the other hand, I think it's really important to understand what addiction is as a concept. So to define it, I think, um, and I'm echoing a lot of the great thinkers in the field, Maya Solovitz is one, Stanton is another one. Addiction is compulsive behavior despite negative and sometimes destructive consequences, and it is in no way limited to drugs. So interestingly, the process is really predictable when we try to understand why people, including kids, would repeat a behavior even though it causes them harm. And so this is the mm-hmm. basic pattern. of Somebody engages in an activity or substance, which offers um, an artificial sense of control. And that provides a person with these preferred sensations, like feeling valued, in my case, or in control, or energized. But these feelings are temporary and consequently degrade the person's other life involvements and satisfactions. So this self-created degradation in functioning makes the person rely increasingly on that initial experience, or so like a drug, in my case, for life direction and satisfaction. And this process occurs along a continuum. The end state perhaps is never fully realized, but the end state is the worst possible uh, possible consequences imaginable. And that's what I call addiction. So it's not a diagnosis, but a way to identify a person's patterns of behavior. And it's a pattern that uh, people can fall into and develop away from. So when I help people, I first try to, whether I call something addiction or whether I just flag it as a developmental pattern, it doesn't uh-huh. matter. The the important part is to understand that people can develop into and away from patterns of behavior. And I think that's important to understand. It's important for professionals to best understand how they can help people. And it's uh-huh. important for uh, prevention so parents and educators can guide their kids in a, a positive direction. And it's, in, it's important for self-actualization so that people can understand they can take steps and to recognize it's not limited to drugs. People who are deep into this kind of behavior pattern might do serious harm to themselves, and understanding it um, will help us respond to it appropriately. 
So I guess that was you said it was a way too long question. Maybe that was a way too long answer. But I no, no, it's great. I, I want you to know, definitely was a compliment. Like it isn't when I say that. It's just refreshing to not hear somebody, um, you know, telling this horror story about themselves and yeah, being, yeah. Um, hard on themselves and you know, and it just was. It's refreshing. And I mean, I've been interviewing now people for years, so when I hear somebody as young as yourself who is, I, I think, so wise, I hope that if if you're not teaching other people who work in the field, you should, because, um, or give talks to them, um, because there's a real, people have been trained by a culture to listen to people who had a problem, right? This is still where we're at with um, mm-hmm. problematic drug and alcohol use and overuse is that those who have, you know, or have no more, whatever, so there's plenty of people out there that didn't have an issue and have helped people like uh, Lance Doty's didn't, right? He worked at Harvard for 35 years. But I think uh, that it's – so let me ask you, um, What you sound like you have a lot of education. What is your educational background? My education in terms of collegially is a plain vanilla liberal arts degree from a college here in Vermont, and then uh, beyond that, and then a minor in, a minor in psychology. But beyond that, I've uh, developed credentials in uh, child development. I'm trained as a behavior consultant through an organization that's just absolutely fabulous. It's called the Fitzgerald Institute, and it's located in Hubbardston, Mass. And so um, that and just journalistic research is my background. Mm. So I don't actually have mm. a, an advanced degree or a PhD, and, and it's not even in psychology. Per se. But you have a you have a liberal arts degree and you, it was you minored in psychology, so you have a college four year college degree, and then you got went on mm. to study at the Fitzgerald. I, I, I hear you. I definitely hear you. How long did you use um, drugs problematically? That's interesting. That's something you think that I should know, but I I can't quite pinpoint it because using drugs problematically started for me when I was a young teen. And it lasted into adulthood, into my 20s. So, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe around 10 years or so. But it's, um, I went in and out, it went in and out of being a problem. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes it was my drug use that felt like the problem. Sometimes it was other areas of life. Oh, oh interesting. Uh, okay, so um, tell me about your Young Justice podcast. Why did you say, oh, my God, I mean, I had that moment too. I have to do this podcast um what what happened to you that you had to do a podcast that really was about how spontaneous it was i remember i was sitting with my wife on our back porch one day it was just a nice summer day and we could otherwise just be relaxing it was a perfectly serviceable weekend and i said you know what i think i'm just going to start a show (laughs) she's 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 very she's very supportive but this is not something that um was usual for me she said okay and so yeah i mean Years into my work with kids, I felt like I was doing a great job of helping one child or one family at a time. Yeah. But I felt like I was playing a game of like whack-a-mole. You know, one problem yeah. solved, a million more opened up. Yeah. So I start. I realized that all of the problems that I dealt with in a developmental sense were structural problems, not just a collection of individual ones. So that's why I guess I decided to start the podcast. It, at first, it had nothing to do with the addiction piece just child development, but I would invite mm-hmm. experts on the show to help guide me and then the viewers and listeners through the science behind child rearing and human psychology, I guess just an attempt to kind of make a shift in the, in the system. 
So I started with um, local experts here in Vermont, but soon uh, I was talking with national and international very well-known guests like social psychologists and, and best-selling authors, uh, Carol Tavers and Michael Shermer. And then mm-hmm. the show's listenership started started to grow. So I, I just have been off since then. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Like I, uh, I'm going to take a listen to your podcasts. Uh, I anyway, when I first started mine, there were all these people from the alternatives, the smart recovery, uh, moderation, mm-hmm. management, circular organizations for sobriety, and I knew very little. I knew a little bit as I was having left AA um, early in that 2011. But it was funny because there was one guy who was sort of another ex-stepper, anti-A person. He's like, you know, are you, you can't, how are you going to get those people on your show? And I was like, I'm going to call them up and ask them, you know. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I'm yeah. not a radio show host, right? Uh, and so I began to do it. And, you know, I really, like, deprogrammed on air. It was sort of, um, I think, mm-hmm. uh, it was pretty, there were people that I had on that were best-selling authors, like Dr. Uh, Carl Hart, you know, from... Some of them just I called them up and they said sure and I was like you know shocked and yeah. and and happily surprised right and I, I could see that and uh, but um, yeah so you found yourself doing this and are you I mean I know that you're sort of heading somewhere like do you have some new goals that what you you know kind of want to do like you were talking well you know what I'm going to say this but I'll back up a little bit that. Um, just relating where you're speaking to maybe one person at a time and then you realize when you do this that you could have two or three hundred people listen to you and you interview somebody, right? So rather than me talking to 40 of the same women, you know, we now talk to, I don't know, tens and thousands of people are listening. Mm-hmm. So we're getting that word out, right? I mean, it's really important. Will you continue to do this or will you switch over to the new one? Yeah, show. well, I, it's really just just really a logical progression. So I guess let me back up too. While, while I was doing this part of um, trying to get the word out about child development, I was still really interested in the addiction piece. And so mm-hmm. I invited about, what, eight, nine months ago maybe, Dr. Stanton Peel on the show. And he and I agreed on so much that we kept in contact, and now we're doing a lot of work together. And that changed the course of the show. And so between having a lot of really well-known guests on and having Stanton on, who is also very well-known, but also kind of helped me lead this thing into some trajectory, now I talk uh-huh. about all areas of human development. And in the past few months, I've been hovering around the concepts of addiction and harm reduction. The only reason I'm changing the show is because the, the name of the show, Young Justice, which never necessarily meant anything, it's just kind of a name I gave it, um, mm-hmm. It's also the that's also the name of a DC comic, so I'm trying to avoid any legal any legal mm-hmm. ramifications. And I figured, so it's, it's starting in January, I'm going to start. Uh, and thank you for asking about it. The new show, but it's really is only new because um, I'm changing the name. But mm-hmm. I'm changing the name of it. Uh, I think you mentioned it at the beginning. It's going to be called the Social Exchange, and this is actually right. the first time I'm telling people about it. Actually, when you and I were talking about doing the show, I still didn't have a name. So um, well, with the name uh-huh. change, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to broaden the topic even more. So the show is going to be about all areas of social psychology and politics and religion, and it will just be rich in the areas of human development and addiction still, all things that influence well-being. And to supplement the show, 
I'll be launching a new website with resources for all sorts of questions about these topics. And it all begins uh, January of the new year. My first two guests are going to be um, third-time returning uh, Michael Shermer to talk about his book, Heavens on Earth, and then Johan Hari, who will talk about his new book, uh, Lost Connections. Oh, wow. So he did a new book. Yeah. His, Johan's new book is about, and I think I'm safe to talk about it now because it seems like he's posting it on social media. His new book mm-hmm. is sort of the same, the same type of thing as um, his first one, except now it's about uh, mental illness. And so the kind of misleading mm-hmm. nature of this kind of chemical imbalance part of the mental illness well, I loved his first book. I would love to wanted to interview him. I just he was really busy when I first reached out. He was doing the tour for that Chasing the Scream. Anyone out there listening, if you haven't read Chasing the Scream, it is a fabulous, fascinating book about the beginning of the uh, field war on drugs with our first drug czar, Harry Anslinger, and then moving you know throughout a lot of other failed policies and bad things going on in different states and how things got to where they are. Wow, that's super cool. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. All right. Um so you're going to uh, you're going to call it this new it's going to be called the social exchange if you're just tuning in now we're talking to Zach Rhodes and it's R H O A D S. He's located up in Burlington, Vermont. He is an addiction coach uh, and a science writer and a behaviorist, I'd say a behavioral specialist working with children now. Um Let's. I want to go to another subject, if you're cool with that. Uh, what ready. are your views on AA and recovery? Uh, I think about AA really similarly to the way that you do. Um, though I don't have as much deeply kind of troubling personal experience with it as you. And you, Monica, have helped me understand uh, how bad things can get. But basically, yeah. on, a more obje- on a more objective scale, I think of AA as completely non-scientific, and it's dominant in what we call recovery. Most Mm -hmm. people with addiction somehow find their way into 12-step groups, haven't you noticed? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a group that follows the dogma of a set of texts that highlights religious precepts, which means that it smells and sounds and looks a whole lot like a cult. And some (laughs) 12-step groups, (laughs) maybe even most, are 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 harmless, you know, and people find a sense of connection in them. But many groups lay fertile ground for unscrupulous behavior, as you've highlighted um, really beautifully in your film, The 13th Step. And this behavior has the potential to be really damaging to really vulnerable people. So I think we need to do our best to understand addiction through developmental framework as a set of choices that one can make about how to steer their own lives. And it's something that is absolutely not permanent. And we need to move away from the religious-based forms of so-called treatment and turn our efforts into answering addiction problems through a framework of science and secular reasoning. Like you mentioned, you went to a conference where very few people knew about alternative programs. So maybe it's worth also turning our efforts to making sure people can get, if they want specific help on their addiction problems or whatever it is, that they understand that there are a lot of groups that are non-AA. Yeah, that's a really a really big one that I found myself shocked. Even the thing I went to last night, which is about sexual harassment in Hollywood, put on by the Hollywood Radio and Television Society, and they just felt like as things were 
sort of imploding or exploding over the last 90 days that someone needed to have a conversation. And there was a girl from HR sitting to the right of my friend Karen, and we asked her, she was with a huge, you know, five big agencies now, you know, ICM, William Morris, now they're William Morris Endeavor. It doesn't matter the names because I'm actually not going to say the name of this particular one, but I said, who are you with? And she said, one of the giant. Um, talent agencies in Hollywood, and I said, "Oh, like what kind of HR, what kind of sexual harassment policy do they have?" And she smiled and kind of chuckled, and she said, "None." And I was like, "What?" I mean, I was at Fox, you know, 25 years ago, longer, and they had um, the beginning of policy there at 20th Century Fox, and it, I mean, began in the late 80s, but. She said that's why she was brought in. She was brought in like probably before the shit hit the fan. And she's young, um, which is good, you know, but she worked in HR in another field and they actually brought in a real HR young female and I think she was like in her late twenties. Um, and mm-hmm. they need to develop one. But I mean, this is like, uh, I, I think that the old fashioned, uh, you know, uh, aspect of treatment and I hate even all the language. That's why I really like not only talking to you, but listening to you. Because you weren't in it, you spend very little time, right? It was like a year that you went to some meetings, isn't that right? You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It maybe I mean on and off throughout my whole experience, but yeah, I've spent about a year um, you know, going pretty consistently to meetings and feeling skeptical all the while. Did you tell me the story because you told it to me, but I would love my listeners to hear how you kind of were in the end, you know, you kind of were what what you were like and what made you kind of walk out the door and never go back because it wasn't extreme like my experience. What was your experience? Yeah, well, just like the way that I kind of walked away from my own addiction is the same way that I walked away from AA in general. I mean, I I'm a skeptical guy. I, I have a very uh, hard demand for science and reason and logic that makes sense. And AA never really made a lot of sense to me. It just happened to be, like you've noticed and so many people have noticed, it just happened to be the dominating force in what we call recovery. So I, when I had these problems, it was one, one reason is because I needed to appeal to the worries of others who, you know, people who were worried about me, the ones to know that I was doing something. And, of course, my past behavior wasn't a very good indicator for me to just say, well, I am doing something, don't worry. So one reason I even entertained the idea at all was because I wanted people to know that I was making a change. Mm-hmm. But the reason I stuck with it is because there were so many. I mean, this is not this is not a uh, any kind of personal attack on anybody who's in twelve step programs. Of course, there are a million people. Well, if we're going to be literal, millions of people who are in AA programs and twelve step programs who are absolutely delightful and intelligent. And that's what I encountered. I was in Vermont. And, you know, people in Vermont are just kind of chill, laid back anyway. So uh-huh. I didn't buy into the dogma or the text, but I but I did sort of develop some relationships with a lot of really great people. That's what kept me involved. Um, I think if you may be referring to an article that I wrote about this, but what got me out of it, I remember eventually, is the, the very deep impassioned um, need for a person who was my sponsor to talk to me about God. And at first I was saying, well, I'm an atheist. How does that square with you guys' view? And a lot of people didn't like that. But this guy Uh said, you know, that's totally fine. I'm agnostic. You're atheist. That's cool. 
And then he had me read a chapter, and I forget exactly what it's called, you may know, the chapter to the agnostic or something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, to the Anyway, uh-huh. yeah, we agnostics. So he had me read that in the big book, and it was like I'm listening to him read it out loud. You know, he's meet, we're meeting at this coffee shop nearby. He's reading it out loud to me, and I just wow. – not that all things happened led up to it, but a million different things had led to my skepticism of the program. And hearing him read this, it was basically saying – if you don't believe in God and you don't think that God is what's going to get you out of this mess, then that's okay. You'll end up fig- – you're just stupid, and you'll end up figuring out that it's God. Don't worry. And for, after that reading of the text, I just remember thinking, I'm going to quietly slip out now. And I kind of just didn't make contact with anybody anymore, and I just stopped going. It wasn't the religious part exactly. It was just the, just the condescension. So for me, yeah. I'm lucky that that was the reason I got to leave because for me it was just – mere condescension and just I noticed that it wasn't helpful and what I realized by listening to you and Stanton uh, Lance Dodes and several others is that some people are very severely harmed by not just the condescension but the level of power that's involved in these programs yeah it's pretty it's pretty intense with groups like the Pacific Group which is in Los Angeles they have spinoffs in New York the Atlantic Group we hope we can kind of shed the light on um, maybe this that, that huge uh, cult group. I would really like to do some work on that this coming year. It is so weird. I had such a, a bad memory as you were telling that story. And um, my dog is like going, can you hear that in the background really badly? I'm going to maybe do this. Um, <laughs> I don't know why he's going crazy. but uh, He I'm is, and I'm right. not opening the door and saying, quiet, Blue. Uh, was there was a woman who came to me, so probably in the early 2000s, it was after 9/11, 2001, two or th- I think it was like two or three, and she was. Uh, anyway, it doesn't really matter. But she came to me through somebody else, and I didn't sponsor a lot of women, a few anymore. Uh, and uh, we got to this place where you know I just she was like really having trouble with the steps, and I was just said we you know we can go through stuff and explain, and then we got to this place, and she goes, well, I don't believe in God. And I said, really? And I said, oh, well, I said, I don't really know how to, you know, help you or what to do here. I mean, I can certainly help you. I'll share all my other experience um, that I had with really good therapy. Like, they have lots of other, like, we could say older woman advice, right, which I had plenty of life experience. I'm a mother, you know, I... I did a lot of uh, really, really good um, therapeutic work. I did marriage counseling work. Uh, I did childhood abuse work. So I really, in my last 20 years that I was in AA, I really just shared the wisdom that I learned from other wise women and my own experience. Um, but with, I feel really bad, and I actually tried to find her to apologize to her, not to make amends to her, to be very, you know, I like to really separate their world from my world, or I should say the real world, their world from the real world, and just say, God, I'm like really sorry, because now, I mean, I would be easily, well, I couldn't do it now anyway, right, because I don't believe in any of that, but I found Mm -hmm. myself saying, you know, I I, I really don't know how to help you or can't, because like I really was a person of faith and didn't know how to, uh, changed the, the conversation when it came to the steps or somebody, and I wasn't like a hardcore step, you know, I mean, but it was really, really fucked up. And so we kind of, <laughs> but it, it ended on a good note. Like it wasn't like, um, you know, I can't sponsor you because you won't do this. 
it was more like I feel inadequate and I, I really don't know what to tell you because I had learned to be, you know, less that way as the years went by and that I didn't know everything. I'm sure there were phases of, and I know there were phases, I sure thought I knew everything um, mm. about it, which is why I think I worked so hard to undo those years that I promoted Alcoholics Anonymous and want to undo, I think, um, I mean, I'm not like Marty, Re- who's, who's the guy who's with Leah Remedy on her show? I'm not that bad. I don't want to say karmic debt to undo, but <laughs> my, it, what is his name? Mike, Mike Rinder, you know? <laughs> um, right. Uh, you know, I just think that it's it's so great that uh, somebody like yourself, you know, was able to, you know, hear it and see it for what it was and then walk away. Now, how many people called you to say, where are you, how you been, or how are you when you left quietly? A few, a few, but it was not, my phone was by no means uh, blowing up off the hook. I mean, I think that a couple people from the group I used to attend, I used to go to a group in the morning, uh, it was like 6.30 in the morning, so it would go from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m., and that oh was, uh, you know, to get up that early is already sort of uh, very intimate. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of cr- yeah. <laughs> a couple, a couple of them called, called me. But no one, you know, nobody was um, monstrous in trying to get me to come back. And even the man who was my sponsor. Uh, it's not that I, I wanted to lose the connection with him. It's just that I didn't. Our only way of communicating was by way of talking about AA. And so yeah. I didn't really call him. He didn't really call me. And I, I started to realize we don't really have you – know, we could we could have a, a good relationship, a friendship, but we didn't happen to have a good framework for one because it was just rooted in these very specific elements like you were talking about. Yeah, I think the relationships that I had um, with – and even those, though, fell – there's some of them that had nothing to do with me. Some of them have because – of my context and the work that I did and then going on to make the film, but that there's the the women, especially one, the one who was my last, you know, I called her a sponsor, but we had a real friendship a relationship and we did not talk about the book or the steps. And um, it was just another one womanly advice to another. And she was married for 40 years to one man and she was very kind and loving and she was a nice person to talk to. Um, it was very different than I think a lot of other people have. But then there were others where I thought they were my best friends, and they were friends for 30-something years. And um, But as I got harder and harder with how I wanted to expose Alcoholics Anonymous, I became unfriended on their Facebook page. <laughs> mm-hmm. And some of them I had some big fights with mm-hmm. uh, through emails, um, even though those were some of the people who helped me in the beginning to expose the unsafety, unsavory behavior. And I'll give one example and we'll move on. But uh, this is somebody in Narcotics Anonymous who was on the board, and he told me when I called him to uh, tell him what we were finding in that raping was going on rather than just 13-stepping in West Los Angeles. Well, that's what was being reported to me. So um, he said, oh, yeah, well, there was this, you know, we had this incident a few years back, so this is probably in 2000." eight or nine, I made this phone, no, nine, I made the phone call, so it was a couple of years prior, that um, there was, a, you know, a guy answering the NA hotline somewhere in the United States, and he answered the phone, and a woman called, and he went over there, and he raped her, and Narcotics mm-hmm. Anonymous was uh, attempting to deal with 
the unsavory behavior, that rape, and the fallout of that I don't know all that happened, um, some lawsuits, smaller lawsuits that were going on within Narcotics Anonymous, which is a much smaller organization than Alcoholics Anonymous. So I knew people in these places very high up in AA or NA that actually tried to help me um, with the safety issue. But as I had my own fallout of like cracking open and my head opening up, the light shining in, the rose-colored glasses being ripped off my face, I began to see something that I loved as a crazy cult, abusive and ridiculous. Um, So let's talk about the word recovery, because I think we feel the same way about it. Um, You gave me your views on AA, and if you could give me, um, just if I say the word recovery, and all that is said about it all the time, and Betty Ford, and long-term recovery, and la, la, la. Um, what do you think about it? <laughs> I don't like it. You know, I think the term, and people get really confused about this if I don't qualify things and I'm not, and I'm not very specific, but I, I think the term addiction may just be important, and I, I kind of want to take it back for people who use it incorrectly, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it just it just is the word that we are so used to. That, that right. weird problem that people – try to understand that I think I now have a, a sound understanding of. People just call all those problems addiction, and they mean all different things by it. So I just yeah. try, I'm trying to power through with my definition of addiction. Recovery is something a little bit different. I think it implies, just because of how it's used and how it's been used over time, it implies a sort of uh, permanence because mm-hmm. the way that people overwhelmingly use it is that you are in recovery, almost like mm-hmm. it's a – in purgatory, you never get out of it. Like you can, yeah. you're in recovery, and you're help being helped, um, you know, guide toward a positive trajectory, but you never really make it to feeling totally happy. Well, I, on the other hand, think of life just as a balancing act in general. And when you, when somebody has an addiction, you can remember, you know, the framework for what an addictive experience means, and it just means that you're, for whatever reason, you're having trouble. Um, squaring your immediate behavior with your values and long-term goals. And so you're really kind of, you could call it on the negative side of life's balancing act. And what people call recovery, I might just call getting to the positive side or just well-being or happiness. At Martin Seligman, um, a, a psychologist over at Penn, I really like something that he said recently, and I butchered his quote one time, and I'm afraid I'm probably going to again. So this is not exact. But he made a great statement about just happiness and well-being, and it it was that when we go to bed at night and we think about what we want for ourselves and our loved ones, we don't typically think about how to get from negative three to negative two. That is how to get from like horrible misery to just a little bit less misery. We think about how to get from two to three, so how to get from one point to a little bit happier. And so in that, it means that Recovering from mental illness, you see I use the word recovery there, is far different from becoming happier. And I think the focus on becoming happier is what really gets us to that positive side of the balancing act. So that's what I I basically think about it. Yeah, I mean, if you – one of the things that I found really disturbing because I was, you know, in that world for 36 years with about 10 that was very pulled back when I had small children when the first child was born until he was 10 – that no one used that word, Zach, nobody. So in the 70s, nobody said you were in long-term recovery. That was created 
mm. by AA members who worked for, say, NIDA or NIAAA or the, the spinoff of AA, right, which was Marty Mann's baby, which was NIDDA, National Institute of mm. Alcohol and Drug Dependency. It was another called something else earlier. Those were all AA people that were working there. And he actually mm. told me, one of the guys who ran New York for a long time, that there was this new language that they were developing so that people didn't have to break, you know, the anonymity. Um, they could, you know, didn't have to break the tradition. So you said, I'm in long-term recovery instead of saying, oh, I'm in AA 25 years. And I was like, what the fuck? I remember him saying it to me, and I was like, that's really weird. Why would you do that? When was that? That was like in the 2000s. I wasn't like in the 70s or 80s. No, everybody was taught, really, that you moved on. You didn't have it. Like, so if you were, there was like a, you know, even, I don't, I don't know that this matters or that you need a history lesson, right? But, <laughs> no, but go right ahead. it go is ahead. really, it really bothers me. And I think you're really young and it bothers you too. And why do we, why does it bother us so is because they're actually taking a word again, these people. Um, and they mm-hmm. are taking a word, uh, like the word sober, which was hijacked by them. The word spiritual was hijacked by them. And I actually, when you were talking, yeah. I opened up the dictionary, and it says recovery, a return to a normal state of health and mind and strength. That's what the word means, that you return yeah. to something, and you're not returning forever. Like when when you recover, like the treasury, I mean the treasure from the bottom of the ocean, you recovered it, you went and got it and brought it back, and it's now sticking up on the sand on the shore. It isn't going to happen forever that I'm picking it up. and You know what I mean? And the other, the second meaning says here, the action or the process of regaining possession or control of something stolen or lost. And that feels sane. But people were saner. Like the, it, it wasn't in. It wasn't in. A, it was like a meme. Like that word didn't even exist back then. But nobody used that kind of word. But you know that you were in recovery. They were like, no, you recovered. Like, in fact, I had a sponsor who said, you know, imagine you're on an island, and then there's you jumping from one island to the one in the middle, but then when you make the jump to the third, it's all behind you. You're free from it. And yeah. now yeah. you're, you know, you're. You're well, you're, you know, and, uh, but, so they have hijacked another word that they, I, it's really needs to be like, mm. uh, once again, I'm going to just give a little introduction to you. And if you're out there listening, um, I am talking to Zach Rhodes and he has his own podcast, which is called Young Justice, which is soon going to be the new one, which is going to be called The Social Exchange. He comes to us from Burlington, Vermont. And uh, he is an addiction coach and a science writer. I would, uh, when we're off air, I'd like to ask you some questions just about your coaching, because really, honestly, and I and I want to really encourage you that in my groups, uh, and if you're listening out there and you don't know this, so I have a deprogramming from AA or any 12-step group. I have a leaving AA group that you could go ahead, Zach, and you could, and not like make a commercial, but you could say hi. I mean, I have, or you want me to do it. Because there are people in there that still struggle with their mm-hmm. issues with alcohol and drugs who need help. And I really would like to, I don't want to refer people that I don't know, you know, to other people who could help them. And uh, so I'm really glad that you're doing it. Uh, and 
you know, that you're not probably charging, you know, $2,500 an hour to do it. <laughs> no, and you know, the, you know the interesting thing about that is I just have a hard time just trying to find a line where I, I do want to promote my, the program, which is Stanton Peel's program called the Life Process Program. I do yeah. want to promote it, and I do want to encourage people to use it. At the same time, I always hope that people can uh, – that education, good education kind of gets people away from having to even pay for a program. Because you were talking about the word recovery, and it just made me start thinking about um, – well, one other reason I don't enjoy the word, even though I think that you're right that the word itself is perfectly cogent in terms of an explanation, mm-hmm. and it has been hijacked – but we, we argue a lot about semantics, and I, of course, yeah. also, I'm probably the king, king of argument about semantics. <laughs> but really, we, when we talk about AA, and we were both talking about the reasons we stuck around, it's really important to think about why did we stick around? What was the connection that we got? There is a, a researcher named Jonathan Haidt. He's also a social psychologist, and I hope to have him on the show soon, although he seems to always be in the middle of writing a book. And he uh-huh. was um, – reading a lot of him has helped me – discover an idea about just why, and it's not that it's a big secret, but just why people seem to be so much less connected, so much more depressed, et cetera. And in my work in uh, child development, first of all, kids are way less free to explore freely, to do, to have free play without right. somebody breathing down their neck every five seconds. But that, uh-huh. that turns out to be into school. Now all of a sudden, Teachers are making decisions. If a child has a problem, teachers get together and say, how do we fix this kid's problem? Rather than mm-hmm. saying, well, how do we get this kid reinvolved with life in a way that suits him? And so that just kind of goes on. And that mixed with um, – I don't want to be one of these um, these jerks that totally talks against social media because obviously social media is what you and I are engaging in now. But yeah. when it comes to you know young kids getting on social media – especially now that it's like in 2005, 2006, that people can go on and any 11-year-old girl can say that they're 13 and use Facebook or Instagram or whatever on their iPhone. Girls uh-huh. tend to get into like um, the, the kind of rumor mill. Guys do too, but I've, in school I notice guys are a lot more using it to kind of teach each other playing games. Girls kind uh-huh. of use this as a, as a way to get deeply either connected or deeply manipulative and they, it's you put out one text or something on social media, and you have very little that's going to go good, and so much that's going to come back to bite you. And so uh-huh. people are, you're waiting for people to judge you, like you or not. And I just, it gets into this trend that we, uh, you can start on, you know, unlocking lots of different doors about why are people so uh, have such lack of connection. And so that's the part oh, I yeah. like to hone in mm-hmm. on. It's like, how do we get, in, in terms of society, how do we get connected? And then if it's somebody who really wants to, um, you know, they want to get, quote, unquote, better, or they want to focus specifically on their addictions, I do recommend um, Stanton Peel's Life Process Program, and I'm a coach for that program. And I'm sure you've listed a million on your show, so I probably don't have to list the, the many others. But I would love to get some sort of, you know, involvement like yours, kind of deprogramming from AA, where people can have conversations about what they need in life. And if they really need it, then there's a program available. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that I always have a hard time 
deciding whether to extend a conversation or to promote you know my service that I give to people. So uh, it's right. always open for anybody, and I'll, I'll keep, well, I'll keep I mean, uh, I think my eye out. Need it. Yeah, when I finally met, um, let's see, through my friend that I met at Esalen at a writing camp that I went for Shoals Straight, I met this fantastic screenwriter who was here in L.A. up there, and we were, like, sharing the same cabin, and she told me about um, Rachel Bernstein. And so I had, mm-hmm. I, she was like, you got to meet this woman, and oh, my God, she's, like, right up your alley. And so she was working a lot with the people who were leaving Scientology or any cult, and she was, you know, trying to get her feelers if there was a need for a group. So long story short, um, we connected. I had her on twice. I interviewed her on the phone beforehand and was just, like, blown away by some of this, her language that she used, which I think it was two years ago. It was two and a half or something like that, that, you know, I because people fight about certain things on social media, and I think part of deprogramming is that ability to fight. Some people, you know, we need to do it, like, on air like this is helpful. Some people do it better writing that there were markers for a cult, you know, that there are specific mm. markers for or toxic groups. And anyway, I mean, any time that I see somebody really um, in a point where, I mean, I will say, you know, I'll talk to you, you know, uh, here's my phone number and, um, you know, but I'm not a trained, um, you know, therapist or with a, you know, right. letters right. after my name or, and I don't want to do that, but, you know, I do plenty of it, you know, but I put her name in and say, call her, call Rachel Bernstein. She's, you know, I know how much money she costs now. And there's a real group. And you, people can join a group. You can join it in through Skype if you wanted to, you know, you live somewhere else. But then I do think, and I, I could imagine that it might be a little hard, but there's other women who've reached out to me. Um, and I'd like to have one of them on the show. She wrote a book where she's doing some coaching and, you know, we'll see where people are at. And then I interviewed another one and then I didn't really like her views enough that I would promote her, you know? I mean, I really mm-hmm. have to feel like with you, it would be like 100%, absolutely 100% that I'd say, oh, you know, call him. I have a lot of people to Stephen Slade. And I even met a woman here that we interviewed for the sizzle reel that I made who actually went through Stanton's life process program and she went to many rehabs. I think she went to like five, six rehabs. And she went to that at St. Gregory's or something, and she said it was the most wonderful experience. She'd had nothing ever like that before or after, and has really, really helped her. I don't think that she met Stan. I don't think he was there, like, you know, working at the time when, you know, mm-hmm. she wherever she is that she went through that. But um, I just know there is a need for, you know, something else than what we've had a lot of in like, I mean, would you say the percentages are high, like that 95% of all, you know, rehab is AA-based? It's got to be. I mean, isn't that – I think, I guess, Lance Dodes gave us the best numbers of it, and that would that'd probably be right around there. It's it's hard to say because it gets sneaky, doesn't it, where rehabs don't sell themselves as, um, you know, having an ironclad abstinence rule or being all part of 12 steps, but – uh, in some way, most of, yeah, the vast majority of them include 12 steps. And I do find that I I think of all the programs that are free, that are alternatives, like the true you know lay layperson support group, uh, Smart Recovery is the biggest that's grown a lot, uh, and it grew tremendously after Gabrielle Glaser's work and after she and I were on Katie Couric. I mean, Tom Horvath said mm-hmm. there was like an unbelievable amount of women showed up like the next day in meetings. And the following, That's like great. it really, yeah, it grew. But what I have found is there's a lot of people who don't want to do abstinence, 
they want harm reduction. They want to learn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how to uh, drink less or use less, or you know, that. Uh, do you find that? Do you find that there's harm reduction is um, something that people are more interested in? I think people are interested in harm reduction in every area of life and every area of addiction, whether it's substances or something else. It's just that it's hard to admit that because we're made to, you know, think it's sensationalized and laugh at people who say, well, I can just have a few drinks. Like, no, you can't. Everyone knows if you do, you're going to go down this endless spiral. So I think that the vast majority of people, if not everybody, really just wants to, you know, be able to use in a less harmful way. Some people, you know, that turns out to be that they want abstinence and that's what helps them. But people uh-huh. come to the decisions on their own, uh, choose abstinence less and harm reduction more. That's why I think that, you know, that's, I want my show to be about, um, you were talking about when you talk to people, you're concerned with whether you would actually refer people to talk to them or not. And when I talk to people on the show, that's what I mean. I kind of want to make this line between I want to talk to people on the show who have all different opinions, especially people I disagree with, so we can kind of air out, you know, discard the chaff from the disagreements and figure out what people, you know, agree with. And everyone has sort of a different way they want to deal with their own life's problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about having some people on that are, um, you know, way on the other side of me because I think that it's important to – if there's anything we agree on, that's a good thing. Anything, yes. One of them would be to stop court ordering. I would say the majority of pro 12-steppers of any kind want it to stop. And when they find mm-hmm. out that violent and sex offenders are court ordered there, they all want that to stop. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, even though I would be happy if AA shrunk to the size of that people had meetings back in their home again, which, you know, honestly, the old-timers that I know, where do they go? They go to somebody's house. They can't stand the big meetings uh, because there is no connection in them. And, um, you know, they will they have retreated back into a home with six people in the room every week and only go to a big meeting to take a cake or, an, you know, uh, once a year or whatever. We only have about six minutes left, five minutes really. Um, yeah. I'd like to just kind of leave it open now. For is there you know anything you'd like to talk about for this last few minutes that we have? Well, I just want to say that I I love what you do with your show, and I have absolutely loved um, your movie, The Thirteenth Step, and it's oh, made me you. think a lot about. I, I I love speaking with people like you, and um, we should be clear that you and I don't agree on everything, pretty much everything that is important that we've been talking about today, but we don't yeah. agree on everything, and it's just so important to have conversations. And like I said, I have had on, and I just talked to Peter Hitchens and Peter Hitchens whole thing is uh, the brother of Christopher Hitchens. His whole thing is that um, um, addictions are moral failing and people who use drugs should be put in jail. I want to talk to people like that. Yeah. (laughs) Did you talk to him? Did you have him on your show? (laughs) I did. And it was, it was a tough conversation. He was ready for um, a robust, bloodshed debate and I wanted him on for like a fireside chat so we could just kind of air our grievances <laughs> and it turned out that where I, I was talking to him just like I'm talking to you now and he was analyzing each word I said so it didn't work out very well I posted it yeah. on social media yeah and I said something like this is my desperate attempt for a, a reasonable conversation with Peter Hitchens 
and he didn't like it. His his followers didn't like it, and my followers started getting in Twitter fights with his. So I took it down because you know it's okay. I mean, did it, you delete it? No, I deleted it off Blog Talk. I have I have the recording. But what uh, I don't want to get into, and it, I did encroach yeah. on this territory. I don't want to yeah. get into fights that are us against them. That's absolutely useless. But what I do want to do is inspire conversations where instead of us against them, hiding behind computers and social media, that people start to come together and explain why they agree and disagree on things. Because when it comes to our political divide, we have, you know, liberals are right in a lot of ways. Hey, let's be open and uh, try new things and, you know, open new doors. Conservatives are right in a lot of ways. Hey, yeah, being open is fine, but, you know, be careful. And either of those to the extreme doesn't work. And we kind of need each other for political conversation for these ones. So, I guess that's what I that's what I want to leave with is that an understanding that I hope that we can between you and I and all the other people doing this hard work out there we can inspire robust conversations. Yeah, me too. I think it's uh, really really important, and you know it's really it's got such a pleasure to uh, have had this conversation. I would love to you know have some more conversations with you, have you on again in the new year. Uh, maybe once you get things, if there's something new, you know, on or something going on that you would like to talk about either more specifically or we just have a conversation. Because sometimes um, I just want to talk about an issue, like kind of the thing that you mm-hmm. did with Stanton. It was very specific, and I think it's important, um, you know, even though that's probably the area that we don't agree on everything with Stanton and, and the uh, addiction thing with Harvey Weinstein. Or I don't know if that's it, but yeah, yeah. I think that it's if – we have a conversation where sometimes it is nice to have another uh, person like yourself where we discuss it, right? You know, we're not really interviewing each other. Yeah. We're talking about something going on in culture or in media that um, needs to be discussed in a way that we're not all well, going, you're a liar, fake news, or, or it's the left going, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just, everybody's doing it, right? You know, I mean, so yeah. it, it's Well, and that's it's what happened, too. That's what happened is yeah. that, sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that is what ended up happening. I, I wrote that short article, and I, I did this thing with Stanton, and you said, and it was never barbed or, or rude, but you said, I don't agree with you. Here are some studies, and I disagreed with the studies. When, when we got to the end of it, we still had disagreements, but it was nowhere near the vast disagreement that we thought that we had with each other, and that could only be done by civil discourse and conversation. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, so, well, a- again, I'm going to uh, tell everybody about you, and you have a really, really great show, and it's called Young Justice. It's going to be changed. The name will be The Social Exchange happening in January. We have Zach Rhodes, R-H-O-A-D-S, and you can find him on Facebook. Is that good? Where Where should people find you besides Facebook if you'd like to? Sure. I'm going to start a new website in January. I just I I'm not going to say the domain name because I'm not sure if I'm going to have it yet. But Facebook okay. is good. Twitter is good at Rosetta on Twitter, and yes, at um, Blog Talk and iTunes, the show is Young Justice, and it will be the Social Exchange. Thank you so much for being with me tonight, Zach. This is Monica Richardson. I'm your host of Safe Recovery on Blog Talk Radio the filmmaker for the 13th step. We'll see you all again next week and in the new year. I want to thank you again, Zach, for being on my show, and I look forward to seeing you on 
social media. <laughs> Thank you so much, Monica. Thanks so much. All right. Talk to you soon. Good night, everybody. Take care. And ha- happy, happy New Year. Happy Christmas. Bye-bye.